Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When it comes to our planet, all of our perspectives shift when we become parents. Our world is no longer ours. It's our responsibility to preserve it for our future generations. Which is why I'm always interested in hearing about new, sustainable products. Think about deodorant, the amount of plastic that is thrown away needlessly every time we finish one. Wild is a natural, sustainable, vegan deodorant that is single-use plastic-free and cruelty-free as well. The deal is that you buy a case which is made from aluminium and designed to last for life. You can even choose to personalise it with your name and choose from five colours. All you change are the refills, which are fully biodegradable and home compostable, and I can tell you they smell amazing. Even better, the packaging it arrives in is plastic-free and it can fit through your letterbox. So if you're up for trying something new, making a small but important step to help our planet, go wild today and get yourself this natural refillable deodorant that genuinely works. You can order now by going to wearewild.com and you'll get 20% off your first order when you use the code PARENTHOOD at checkout. That's all capital letters, all one word. So that's wearewild.com and code PARENTHOOD at checkout for 20% off. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. For our children, the jump to school is enormous. For us parents, waving them goodbye to a day of learning, school life, academic expectation and phonics, whatever they are, is even more daunting. All of us parents have watched our children grow up, observing that children mature at different times and we'd be lying if we didn't admit to being worried that they might fall behind and be made to feel stupid. With me today is someone who believes fiercely that children learn best through play. A former teaching assistant and mother of two, Daisy Upton is the five-minute mum who has brought the art of learning into games, which brilliantly take no more than five minutes to set up and last not longer than five minutes. And having written a best-selling book on preschoolers, she's now shifted her focus to school-aged children. Daisy, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, nice to be back again. (laughs) Um, I think a big part of supporting children in their learning is understanding how they learn. Do you have the answer to that? Do you know how children learn? Uh, Children learn in lots of ways. I think that's that's difficult, isn't it? We can't sort of say, oh, it's this one, this one way is going to work for every child. And I think that we sort of learned that as education's gone on over the years, that actually so many people and we know this as adults some people learn physically some people learn by rote you know repetition and some people learn uh, through something that's really sensory so they'll get the best out of it if they're listening to music at the same time and they'll learn so I think 
how children learn is exactly the same as how adults learn and it's it's different for all of them and what schools and teachers try to do is try to cover off the kind of what most of them are going to learn is, is if we give it to them this way and then pick up anybody else separately that learns differently so they'll sort of do a lots of rote learning at school repetition and you'll see that kind of thing still um, but now there is also some brilliant um, learning through sensory play so there'll be lots of things like touching play-doh you know going out on an exploration in the playgrounds and um, they'll do stuff even that's kind of brilliant around uh senses like taste and smell as well so you'll quite often hear about you know especially in um, reception age children they'll do stuff in the classroom to do with food and they'll all have a little sniff of some kiwi fruit and maybe taste it and then um the other part of play is what I like best is learning through uh, other part of learning sorry is learning through play and that's the one that I absolutely adore and that's what my books and what my five minute mum account is all about it's finding ways to play games and we sort of sneak the learning in as part of it so that the focus is having fun and playing but that you're sort of learning something on the side as well do you think that's what appeals to most children? I mean, I look at my children and definitely play is when I have their kind of fullest attention. Would you say that out of the, the different kind of ways that children learn, play is probably the most, it, it sort of is right for the most children? I certainly find it the most effective because if you can play a game and engage them on that level where they want to try and win or they want to try and complete it or any of those things that are motivational to a child then you're going to engage them and keep their attention for a lot longer so I always find that the outcome is best when my children learn through play and that's what fascinated me at the beginning when I first started doing my five minute games was watching Ewan because he was kind of like my experiment when he was three because this was my sort of philosophies can I still teach him the sort of stuff I want him to learn like what the letters of his name are by doing literally five minutes a day of a little game and is this actually going to work and it was only when I'd been doing it about a month or so and he turned to me and painted a perfect E and said my name's you know Eve Ewan that I was like oh it does work it works brilliantly he's all of that has been taken in I didn't know it at the time we were just playing and being silly and engaging and connecting which was all good anyway even if he hadn't then said E was for you and we'd had a good time um, but the fact that it was also going in was like a real light bulb moment for me in, in like this is enough actually this is all we need to do it doesn't need to be any more than this and you know he's having fun and I'm having fun <laughs> I think this is the key thing isn't it as a parent are there if I play with them and it's fun for me so if we make it competitive or silly then I want to play too and my husband might want to play and we'll all be in the kitchen playing some a game and you know shoving plates along the floor to try and get the phonics and therefore, everybody wants to join in because kids have that great FOMO thing, don't they? They don't want to miss out on the fun. They can hear everybody giggling in the kitchen. They want to know what's going on. They want to join in. And so for us, it has worked brilliantly well. And learning through play is what I return to again and again. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. My children are a bit older now. They're, they're 9 and 11. And, like, drilling them in the times tables is about the most mind-numbingly boring thing that you can possibly do. And, and I get that they're like, oh, we really don't want to do it. But you're right. If you turn it into a game, you know, what I've learned over the years is that children crave our attention. But our attention when we're having fun, when we're having a nice time, they don't want our attention when we're like, six times six is 36. <laughs> you know, they, they, they want to enjoy the game. And, and they sort of, like you said, they can't resist not joining in if it feels like everyone else is having fun. Absolutely. And, you know, that was a big chapter in my book partly for me because times tables for me as an adult I can't remember them from school there are me some, neither like you say that click in your head because you had a little rhyme for them or you know you could use your fingers and do the tricks or whatever it was but there are a lot of times tables that I don't know so I wrote them out in my book on a page purely for me to refer to but also because you know I was like I need to to write some games for this because I know as a child, they didn't stick in my head. And I was thinking, well, maybe that's because we didn't play with time. So we did the rote learning and that, you know, one time two wishes, you know, you know, you do the little rhymes. And so I thought perhaps if we play, then that's going to be a lot more fun. And maybe I'll get it as well. <laughs> but then, you know, as my children pointed out, mommy, you don't know your times table, but you have a good job. You have a nice life. Why is it so important <laughs> for us to learn them? And I'm like, um... Oh, and I actually didn't really have an answer to that. But I do think it helps with that sort of basic math thing. But, um... but this is the same thing now, right, with spellings, isn't it? Because it's almost uh, the kind of thing that you think, well, why are we teaching spellings? Because everything you work off of will correct your spelling for you. So why do we need to know how to spell perfectly? Um, and what I've talked about in the book is like, it's not about the spelling specifically, or even the times tables. It's about sort of teaching you that skill of taking on some information. Can you retain it? And then regurgitate it at a later point where it's required. And I think it's just getting into that rhythm um, that, that's really important for them. And that regurgitation, I think, happens a lot easier if they can go, oh, I remember that because I put the ball in the cup and it said, you know, three times three is nine. And that pops into their head rather than just sitting, writing over and over and over again. Because there is a sort of sentiment, and I definitely thought this, like I send my children to school for their education. I'm not in charge of their education. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm sure there will be some listeners thinking, well, do you know what? This is what school does. Can't we just let them relax at home? Isn't that an important part of their development as well? Absolutely. And I totally agree. It is so important that they relax and, and play freely at home, you know, without any educational element. They just are totally free to play and enjoy themselves and, and relax. And I actually talk a little bit about homework in the book and how it's a kind of love-hate thing for me. I totally understand why they have homework and, uh, you know, having a parent who is supporting in their learning from home is massively beneficial to a child, and we know that. But also, um, you know, there's a lot of other things that they want to explore and that are just as important. And I find it really difficult to kind of get this balance between 
doing stuff that is important for their learning at school and will support that and then giving them the freedom to explore and develop their own things in their own time outside of that so yes I totally am of that opinion too and some weeks they're you know they do just go to school and come home especially those end of term weeks where they're really tired and we won't do any games we won't do any homework I'll just sort of take my foot off the gas and say to them you are free after school to do as you wish and it's just about knowing the kind of ebb and flow of your lives you know if if you're having a particular time where they are really fraught and upset and tired then you know that's when we ease off any kind of learning but other times we slot it in in those five minute ways. And that's why I love making it as simple and easy as possible. Because if we can do it in five, 10 minute, a five minute setup and we play for 10, 15 minutes, that is not a lot of time. And we can fit that in after school quite easily. You know, come home, have a drink and a snack, do 10, 15 minutes of play where it's times tables or it's their spelling. And then they are free to do whatever they want to do. And it just kind of is that tiny little support of whatever they are doing at school rather than being I'm the teacher and I've got to teach them this. And do you position it to them as kind of school learning or is this something in their minds that's kind of different? This is just fun with mummy. Do they realise they're learning when they're doing these games? No, no. well, it's funny actually because, because my children are so used to it, they come in the door and say, what's the game today? So they know it's that's fun time you know that's a that's something we do together and sometimes Ewan now is older so he's coming up for seven and he's a bit more savvy to it and he sometimes will say I don't want to do that I'm not in the mood for that I want to go and play on my iPad or go out on the street and play on my bike um, and that's fine I still try to live by the rule that I made right at the beginning which is the golden rule let them choose it's it is ultimately a game it's not you must do this I'm not going to dictate to them that they have to do it but Florence my youngest is still very much in that zone where she loves that time with me. She, I mean, tonight she was like, can you please make sure that the game we do is, a, is it the treasure hunt one today, mummy? <laughs> I want the treasure hunt one. I was like, well, I was thinking we could do one of these ones, actually. I'm like, hoping to try one of the new ones out of the book. <laughs> so I was like, everyone wants to see those. But she still likes some of the old classics. And she said, you know, and she will be cross if I don't have it set up when she walks through that door of an evening. So for her, it's just fun. It's just fun with me. So and many of our listeners will remember when you came on the podcast um, before you talked about the first book that you did, which is kind of just uh, kind of preschool. How have the games changed? What sort of games um, do you advocate for sort of school age children? What, 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 what does everyone enjoy playing? Well, amazingly, a lot of the games um, haven't massively changed. They've kind of advanced onwards. So where I was originally doing a game for uh, recognizing letters that's now a game for recognizing and speed reading tricky words or sight words and you know you can still use those same elements of the games that I played in the first book and just advance them on and it's kind of talking people through how to how to change and adapt those favorites as they get older and what they're looking to play but there's also some stuff in this one where it's you know I've based a game on um a, you know a tv game show and I've based a game on a computer game. Um, and it's those things that start to kind of creep into their world that's a bit new and different. And kids, I found mine especially, are really competitive. Like this is what causes the arguments. You'll probably know this from your two. <laughs> Between the two of them, it's this constant competition. So if I can drive that into a game instead of just them arguing over which Barbie they're going to have taken to the bath or whatever it is. If we can put that into something more constructive, then that's what I try to do. So these games are more, um, yeah, quite like lots of competitive ones and a bit more 
um, advanced. There's a, a few more creative type things, which I've always avoided when they were toddlers because of the mess and the disaster zone <laughs> and the effort. But as they do get a bit older and they learn how to use scissors and tape and that kind of stuff and draw, then you can sit and use that with them. So, you know, we've got like a Harry Potter game where they use a zip wire to send me a letter with an owl. And, you know, it's a case of them actually writing the letter and doing it up with a sticker and sending it down the zip wire. So it's all just a little bit more advanced from what a toddler could do. But the same kinds of ideas, because kids really just want to giggle and have fun and be silly. Can you talk me through, talk me through one game, how it works? I just want to give our listeners kind of an idea <laughs> of the kind of, when you were talking about games, I think so many people are like, what do you mean? Just like, you know, we can think of one game. Yeah. Um, we don't have the imagination to think about the games that you've thought about. Give, give me an idea of one you've really enjoyed playing recently <laughs> that children love. Okay, right. I'm just literally going to flick through the book now and see if I can come up with one of the ones that I loved. So um, one of the ones I've got in my writings games chapter is called The Potions Lesson. And essentially, as adults, we all know that if you mix bicarbonate soda with uh, vinegar, it makes it fizzes, doesn't it? And kind of gets... So um, I say to the children there, I get out six cups and put vinegar in one, bicarb in one, and then four other things from around the house. Could be wa coloured water, a bit of Ribena, um, some just regular flour or corn flour or something and then I, I think I put some cotton wool in one of them and then I say to them right you, you're you've got to experiment you need to figure out what the magic potion is but in order to do that you have to write down your experiments because you don't want to mix the same two things twice so they're like okay great so they get a pen and paper and they're writing down which two of the potion you know which two of the cups they're going to mix first together and see if it makes and they literally without realizing it they're writing down you know and sometimes I'll name the liquids, so I'll name them powdered flies or castle rain or something. And they'll be writing all those words down. We're going to mix together castle rain and powdered flies and see if that does it. And then they mix them together on the tray. No, nothing happens. That's not the magic one. And then they'll mix together, you know, dragon's blood and <laughs> something else bizarre, like wizards, golden wizard, I called on them because it looked a bit like we. And uh, they were mixing that together. And that one did fizz. So that's the magic one. And, you know, the whole time they're writing down all these words and we're actually practicing, you know, letter formation and writing. But they had no idea. And it's just to them, it's just a funny potions game that mum's made up. Um, it sounds brilliant. I think, you know, you say sort of up to eight-year-olds, but I know my children would absolutely adore that. Um, they say that reading is the gateway to education. And I've definitely seen that with my children. I think that it, it really helps with spelling. And then obviously, you know, it, it especially with English, you know, it, it helps you understand how to express yourself and be quite bold in that. But then also when it comes to kind of sciences and the humanities, um, it's, it's such an important thing. But obviously some children... Like my daughter, she totally got reading right from the beginning. She loved it. Whereas my son struggled a bit more. And as a result, he wasn't that keen to read. Do you have any tips on, you know, parents with that kind of child who's just where it's always a bit more of a struggle? They don't sort of gleefully read. And to be totally honest, you know, those Biff and Chip books that they read to start with are the most boring things in the world. I'm kind of not surprised that, you know, if they started with Harry Potter brilliant but they don't how do we how do we encourage maybe slightly more reluctant readers to to be a bit more proactive about reading and not to be one of those struggles 
Um, you're totally right. I totally agree. Reading is so pivotal. And I think knowing that as adults, we sometimes feel the pressure of that, don't we? And they bring home a book and you sometimes, and I'll get this in my child. I know he can read, but he's not interested. doesn't want to pick it up and do it. And as a, you know, I'm a reader myself. I love reading. And I was always really like disappointed and some thinking, oh, he's not going to get the joy of this if he doesn't really take to reading. So I talk a lot about that in, um, the, what, the second chapter of my book actually and loads of different ways that you can encourage them to read um but I think the thing is that we feel like we have to sit and listen to them read to us in order for it to be beneficial and that just isn't true at all if they aren't in the mood to read to you then all the things other things such as you know are you reading to them you reading along with them them listening to an audiobook perhaps or even listening to an audiobook and following the line with their finger so they don't have to say the words out loud that they just have to follow it with their finger as they're listening to one and um, them just seeing you read for pleasure so sometimes you know we're all I'm guilty of this I'm terrible pick up the phone the first thing I'll do but if we can leave a book sitting around that's one you can dip in and out of occasionally just picking that up instead so they can see you doing that will maybe make them want to go and pick up their book too and see what's happening in that. Um, And, you know, taking it in turns to read a page or a sentence so that they feel the pressure's off a little bit as well. So, you know, I'll read this page to you and you read me the next page. And it might be that the next page only has one line on it and they think jackpot. But that's fine because it's just about engaging them in the story. And then, you know, there's always little tips and tricks you can do with things like... um, you know, getting them to read stuff that isn't books, getting them to read comic books or menus or, you know, whatever it is that excites them. I find, so Ewan's really into space at the moment. So for him, like you say, reading a Biff, Chip and Kipper book would be his idea of, you know, this is incredibly dull. But if I say to him, let's read 10 facts out of a space space facts book, or we go on Tim Peake's page and I'll let you read what he's written about the the space station on Facebook, he would read that to me because you know, that's what he's interested in. So it's sort of finding those things for our children that really sparks that imagination. And obviously, libraries being back open will be wonderful, because I think visiting a library with a child and letting them totally go, you can pick whatever you want, take it home, that also will really help with them just, you know, having that autonomy to go, I'm going to read this, this book. So all of those little things can help. And then obviously, we can always stick the subtitles on the TV. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I saw that over lockdown, that, that big campaign saying, you know, here's great parenting hack. Yeah. Uh, you've probably been doing that for years because... <laughs> no, I, I, think I, I think I was told about it in a school I worked in years ago where someone said to me, oh, yeah, we just sometimes we stick the subtitles on and then they have to read instead. <laughs> Fantastic. No, and I think the other thing is to be patient because my son was definitely uh, one of those more reluctant readers and now he cannot get enough books. He just loves it. But it just took him a bit longer to read. It took him a little longer to get it. That doesn't mean he was less able to. It just his brain worked in a slightly different way. And I think... I think one of the biggest mistakes we make with our children is like thinking of them as children and categorizing them according to their sex or their age or what year they're in rather than acknowledging that they're individuals. And some children will be reading at five and some children won't really start reading till 10. But it's just we're different. And that's the joy of being human. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that comparison is it's a really natural thing, isn't it? Because we kind of want to know you know are they doing okay are they all right but at the same time it sometimes can strip away a lot of that joy that we take in like you say them taking their time and it doesn't being first at something 
doesn't mean anything with children. Just because they are first to wean, first to do this, it doesn't mean in later life, you know, they're going to really be something or, you know, when I think we have to sort of break that habit of thinking, oh yeah, because my child's reading at four fluently, they're definitely going to go to university and be an academic. It's just not how life works. And we all know it doesn't pan out that way. Um, sort of calming ourselves down and saying, it's okay. And that's why I say, you know, with the reading, if they are reluctant, don't do it for a little while. Take a couple of weeks off. If it's causing you and them stress, take a few weeks off reading. Do something else instead with that time. Because like you say, with your son, like, you know, it might just be that they come to it later. And as if, as long as you keep offering them those opportunities to read and, like I say, read to them, then it, it will come and, and we don't have to stress about thinking that faster is better because it's not. And then that's probably the worst thing we can do. You know, actually, if your child associates picking up a, a book with failing and mummy getting really annoyed and going, it's cat, 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 <laughs> um, that's not going to make them enjoy it. So I think, you know, I, I, and I, I got to say I was guilty of that. There were sometimes it was so frustrating. I was like, this is so <laughs> yeah. simple. Just read it. Um, oh, my uh, God. Yeah, I had it with Florence <laughs> this week. She's got a, a book about this child called Jin, J-I-N, Jin. And, um, and we'd read Jin like 11 times in that book and still she was sounding out she was getting the j and the i mixed up so she was going Ijin. and i was like but you know it's gin so why and in my head i'm like screaming <laughs> but we've all it's really really difficult and amazingly when i was in the classroom i had a lot more patience with those children reading than i do with my own with my own i just want to launch the book out the window but with those ones at school i seem to have a lot more patience i don't know why that is but um yeah we've all been there I think if you're paid to be patient, it's much easier to be patient because you can go home and kind of be impatient and be you. Whereas if you've had a day at work and then your kids are home from school and you're quite frankly ready for a glass of wine and, um, you know, and then and then you've got to be patient again. It's just so, so, so much harder. I think we need yeah. to relinquish the guilt and understand that that's just being human. And they need totally. to understand that people get ratty too. Exactly. And, and that is just part. Yeah, exactly. It's just about saying another sorry. important lesson, another <laughs> important lesson to them talking about it and maybe shifting the reading to the morning <laughs> like we've done now. We read, we tend to read after breakfast because then we all have a lot more patience. I think one of the key things we do as parents is sort of teaching our children to communicate. And that's one thing if it's sort of easy communication. But if it's more difficult communication, like our about our emotions, when it's more complex things to share, that's um, a difficult enough for adults to do, let alone children. Um, one of the things that you've talked about in your book is, you know, if your child is angry and emotional and get teaching them to sort of share those feelings. Do you have any tips in terms, you know, we all have those off days, those off weeks where, you know, a child who's been really open to the idea of games, of learning, um, is just suddenly not interested. How would you go about sort of chatting to them in those circumstances? I think the best thing is to sort of use your knowledge of your children to understand, okay, how are they best going to respond? Are they the kind of person who will want to to speak about it straight away and, and talk to you about it? Are they that kind of person? Or do they like their space and a bit of time? So for you and quite often what, what he needs is, you know, we'll sometimes play a game and if he's not in the right frame of mind or he's tired and something goes wrong quite early on, you know, he gets really quickly cross and upset and emotional about it. And I know the best thing for him to do is to go off on his own for 10, 15 minutes. And I don't follow him. I don't let, I don't do anything. I let him just be. And then when he's ready, he comes back to me. And quite often we did this with one of the, so one of the games in the new book is um, learning to do buttons. 
on cardigans because that's obviously quite a crucial skill that they need when they're at school and so I invented a game where you have a button on the back of a cardigan and you're throwing a balled up socks through the loop that you've made and you have to try the first one to do the buttons to the top wins now obviously if you are struggling with that fiddly little skill it's quite frustrating and we've all we all have felt that point in our life sometimes haven't we where we're doing something quite fiddly and if we are already feeling a little bit irritated then that becomes so annoying (laughs) and you just want to scream and he sort of experienced that flush of like intense irritation and he just said I don't want to play this anymore it's a stupid game and I don't like it and I was like okay that's fine and I just let him go and he just he ran off really upset and even though he was upset I didn't follow him I didn't go with him because he needed that space and I carried on playing with Florence because we were in the middle of the game and then he came back about 15 minutes later and he sat on my lap and we had a little cuddle. And then he said, oh, I want to play it now. And I was like, well, you don't have to. And he said, no, no, I want to play it. And then we played and he, you know, he beat me and he was absolutely thrilled and we carried on with the rest of our day. So for him, it's about having space and time to process his emotions. And then we talk later. So I'll sit with him and say, how did you feel then? Why, you know, what do you think happens when we feel like that? And that's okay. And, and that kind of thing. Whereas for Florence, she's very much more she's kind of like an explosion immediately and needs to tell you and needs to shout about it and tell you everything. And so for me, that's about me intervening and calming her down and doing something that helps her. So quite often we'll go for a walk in the garden. I'll change the scenery immediately with her. I'll put the game away. I'll talk to her as much as I can about it's sort of that immediate sympathy that she requires. So I'll say, yes I understand you you are so disappointed you know she's lost the game whatever it is I totally get it you're so upset um how do you feel do you feel sad you know she t- she'll talk to me about her emotions and for her she just needs that validation and that instant sympathy and then she kind of gets over it really quickly so if I if she so if she's lost a game and I say to her oh that's really disappointing for you, you must feel really gutted and give her a cuddle she's like yeah cool okay let's play again she, you know, that's all she needed was the me to say that to her. Um, whereas if I had said to her at the end of the game, you know, come on, get over it. It's just a silly game. Then that would have exacerbated and wound her up. So I think it's just about knowing their personalities and kind of it's all trial and error in parenting, isn't it? None of us getting it right all the time, that's for sure. And it's only through years and years of watching the upset and thinking, how could we go about this in a different way that's sort of led to those moments and, and just seeing what works best for us all as people. And like we said before, apologising when you get it wrong. And I, I suppose too, just you know, initiating that conversation that you know we can't giving them permission to talk about their emotions, and it's okay to be angry, yeah. and it's okay to be a sore loser if that's what you feel. Just let's mm-hmm. talk about it rather than kind of try and pretend it's not happening. Yeah, exactly. Don't try and crush that feeling because that's just going to not be helpful. And letting them, yeah, letting them be who they want to be and tell me about it. So that's where we're up to at the moment. <laughs> One of the thing all of us parents uh, are desperate to know is how their day went at school because it's obviously <laughs> this new environment you know we have um we have relinquished their care to someone else and suddenly they're making their own friends and having their own experiences and we're like oh my god I don't want to miss out on this and every time and I still have it with my children how was your day at school and they're like fine they always <laughs> always 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 answer fine and I get no more how how should we be talking to our children to get you know actually what what they did in school because obviously it's important to talk to to them about what's happening in school in case there are any problems they might not necessarily open up to school I feel really strongly that we need to be a part of their school life but I find it very difficult to actually get beyond fine do you have any tips on on how we're going to get them to open up a bit more 
I do. And I wrote it in the first chapter of my book because it's something that I get asked a lot. And I totally know why, because like you say, you've been there six hours. Why am I getting this one word response? And when I was on the other side as a teaching assistant, you know, I would have planned out all these amazing activities we would have done all day, you know, like pretend to be on a pirate ship, digging up treasure, doing phonics, doing something in the playground with chalk and running around. And then I'd hear them tell their parents, oh, we didn't do anything today. And I'd be thinking, what? (laughs) Hello? excuse me I just wanted to sort of interrupt and and tell them all about the things that we had done that day um so I've been on both sides and yeah kids just seem to have this amazing ability to just not say anything immediately so I've put written some tips in the first few pages and uh, there are five of them and the first one is um to ask them something specific but the same every day so for you and initially when he first started going to school he um I sort of said what did you have for lunch and uh, he told me it was a jacket potato. And so every day for the next few weeks, I would say, did you have a jacket potato today? So it's a very specific uh, question. And he could just say no to it, or he could say yes to it, or he could then, which often happened, was he launched into a story about what happened in the lunch hall. I didn't because there wasn't the person before me took the last one and I didn't know what else to have and so and so and then he would sort of talk to me about that so asking something really specific and narrowing it down to you know did you have a jacket potato kind of sometimes can help them because they know exactly what you're asking of them if you say something quite broad like did you have a good day that is so broad to them it's kind of like there's no answer to this other than say yeah fine because generally yeah probably was okay so it's it's what we all do you know whenever I'm asked how are you I mean hugely broad question I always respond with I'm fine even if I'm absolutely not fine because (laughs) (laughs) we do don't we it's just so we're modeling that to them too and then we're like no we want you to be brutally honest with us (laughs) exactly and specific and list it out and so that's the second thing is to um is to kind of resist that urge to bombard them with questions and just kind of I sometimes walk the first 10 minutes home from school without saying anything and we just walk along. And then if they want to sort of start talking, they can, but they don't have to. Because sometimes as well, you know, if you come out of work of a really busy day and someone said to you, what did you do today? List it all out to me. You would be like, oh, I can't be bothered. I've just done that. Like, I don't want to tell you all about this meeting and who was being annoying and this person that I'd achieved this. You know, sometimes you just want to decompress. So that's the sort of second thing. And then the third one... um, is we walk to and from school, so we're very lucky to walk. Um, But any kind of walking, I think, even if you can park a little bit further away or perhaps visit a local park, you know, before you head home, if you walk along, I find they're much more willing to tell you things than if sometimes you just go straight home. It seems to be that kind of walking along that will get my two yabbering away. Whereas, you know, if I got picked them up and we went somewhere in the car, I don't think they would share quite as much. So that's quite a nice thing to do. And then the other one is um, to tell them about your day. So that's the other thing. So for a child who hasn't ever experienced something like a school day before, and then they go into that environment and then you ask them to kind of tell you about it. They don't really know what that looks like because they've never had to do that before. They've either been at home with you or in a nursery environment or a childminder perhaps or something else. So it's a really nice idea if what I do with mine is say, oh, you never guess what happened to mummy today. I went into the shops and I bumped into so-and-so's mum and I spoke to her about la 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 la. And I start telling them about my day And I will never get more than five minutes into it. And they will interrupt me with something that happens in their day. And that kind of trips their mind. And it also models that, what am I asking of you when I say, how was your day? Here's what I mean by that. 
here's me explaining how my day was. I had a ham sandwich for lunch. I did this. I did that. Then they kind of see what what you're asking. And the final thing is always the same as everything I ever advise, and it's play. Spending five minutes playing with them, and quite often, even if you sat down with their dolls or cars for five minutes after school and displayed, quite often that's when they will spill to you something that happened because they're in a relaxed space and it might trip their memory and they'll say, oh, oh, so-and-so did this at school today and then this happened and I, you know, and then they'll start spilling those stories because they're in a, in that frame of mind where they can suddenly feel that release of, of information. So the only downside, I think, of this chat with you is it does seem like you are the perfect mother. <laughs> you get it right the whole time. I'm going to have to ask you this question. Daisy, are you a perfect mother? Do you ever get it wrong? I'm going to say this. I am the perfect mother for my own children. And the same way that you are the perfect mother for your children. Because we are all perfect for our children. If I said to you, you're going to have my kids, <laughs> you would not be the perfect mother for them because how you do things with your own children makes you're perfect to them. And that's, the, that's who you should be asking, am I the perfect mother? Do your children think that you are? Yes, so you are. And that's what's important. Is there a generic perfect mother? Absolutely not. Is there a perfect way of doing everything? No. If there was, I would, I would write a book called The Parenting Bible and be a billionaire and go and live on an island. <laughs> because there is no one way to do everything. And I get it wrong all the time. And I think it's the ability to get it wrong and adapt and try something new that makes us better. But in terms of being per- perfect, it does exist, but only in the eyes of your own children. And I think that's what's so nice about the five minute games is that often I don't have the energy from like four when I pick them up to eight when they go to bed to kind of be all singing, all dancing. It's four hours. I just need a little bit of downtime. I need a cup of tea Mm. and to read the paper myself. But actually, even if we can just have a short amount of time where we're giggling in our house, actually the only way to get my kids up into bed because they were so procrastinating at that time, I still do this. I pretend to be the snappy crocodile and I chase (laughs) them up into bed. And it's five minutes of them and then I chase them around the room and try to get them. And they love it and it's like five minutes of intense joy and intense fun and even if that's the only kind of fun really engaged part of me that's still a huge amount and much better to kind of aim for five or ten minutes of loads of attention loads of energy and loads of fun Mm -hmm. than kind of try to be you know a bit there but not really there for the whole time absolutely that that definitely will ease your mind doesn't it if you just have that few minutes like you say it can be anything it could be you know playing snap it could be chasing them like you say it could be snuggling up with them in bed and spending five really intense minutes talking and listening to them or it can be absolutely anything but if we make those connections with our little ones at some point then we've done enough that's that's all you need to do you do enough and and that's what all my ideas are about it's about narrowing it down to the smallest possible component so that we can actually get it done because I'm exactly the same as you I want a cup of tea and to be left alone a lot of the time and so if I do this five minutes first then I can get that and I can know that I'm happy to say to my children go and play go and do your own thing I've you know we've had that time together 
Well, Daisy, thank you so much. It's been a real joy speaking to you. I'm a huge fan um, uh, of your newest book. I was of the, of the, uh, the, the, the previous one as well. This one is called Five Minutes Mum. Uh, sorry, Five Minute Mum, Time for School uh, by Daisy Upton. It's out now, available from all good bookshops. It is a really brilliant, attainable kind of manual. And what I particularly love is that you talk about the sort of learning that goes beyond the curriculum, you know, learning to tie your shoelaces, learning to tell the time, learning, you know, north, south, east and west, all these things that might be part of the curriculum, they might be glossed over. And actually, it's a really important part of our job just to kind of make sure that they they get that. So um, it's a brilliant book, uh, really you. inclusive. And congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on to chat about it. and thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood you can subscribe rate and review wherever you found this podcast you can also follow me on Instagram I'm at marina.fogel but in the meantime from Daisy and me thanks for listening and goodbye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.